I think that the question that we need to be asking is why are we having sex? Men need to have sex to feel loved and women need to feel loved to have sex. Relationships fail because of unrealistic and unexpressed expectations. You need to find your soulmate and your twin flame or your whatever, and they're going to meet all of your needs and they're, you're going to be attracted to them all of the time. I see polyamory becoming more and more popular. Marry for love, modern day monogamous relationship is really not working. Non-monogamy is really an umbrella term and under non-monogamy is different spokes and polyamory is one of them, swinging is one of them. Advice for those who want to communicate their desires to their partner, but they don't know how or they're scared. I was willing to lose my marriage because I knew that I had to be authentic to who I was. At what point, if any, can a relationship no longer be revived? Just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it failed. BDSM. It's gotten a lot of attention since Fifty Shades of Grey, yes. and... Welcome to my guest, Courtney Boyer, to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. We're going to get into some really fun relationship and sex stuff today that I haven't really explored on the podcast yet, so I'm very excited about this. Um, Courtney, do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yes. So first, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, my name is Courtney Boyer. I am a relationship and sexuality expert. I'm a clinically trained mental health and sex therapist turned life coach turned entrepreneur, expert, writer, <laughs> lots of different things that I do. Um, and so I work predominantly with women and helping them to really prioritize pleasure in their life so that they can become more aligned with their purpose. I see that your book is in the background. So <laughs> it is. Let's go ahead and start there. You wrote okay. an incredible book called Not Tonight, Honey. And what is that about? Yeah, so it is about why women actually don't want sex and what we can do about it. Uh, it really emerged from me working with women and in whether it was in a couple situation or just one-on-one. -on -one. And the two questions that I would get asked the most by them were, what's wrong with me and am I broken? And I really wanted to address those two questions that just kept coming up in different forms or literally in those two um, questions and help women to understand that their low sexual desire isn't their fault and help them to really explore where that comes from and then what they can do about it. Obviously, it's not a short answer, <laughs> you wrote a book on it. but if you had to generalize it, why, why do some women not have the desire? Yeah, I think one of the big things is that we have been as women, you know, culturally conditioned to not be sexual beings. We've really been given this uh, mission in a way to really be the sexual gatekeepers of society. And so we've just accepted that men need sex all of the time. And so it's obviously a woman's job to, you know, regulate and to enforce the moral sexual behavior of society. And just the way that boys are conditioned in terms of their connection with their body, their connection with sex is so different than how girls are raised. And I, I don't think that men are more sexual than women. I just think that they're conditioned and given more permission to be sexual than women are. And so when you grow up in that environment and then you're 
like primed to be these human givers, that these you know, individuals who are there for the pleasure and at the disposal of other people, specific men, you just really lose an interest in sexual desire and you really lose an interest in pursuing pleasure and making and, and prioritizing it. Mm. Okay. I remember growing up because I'm in my thirties and I like what you're saying. I don't know if this is what you're saying, but, um, men were almost glorified the more partners and the more experiences they had sexually and women, it was the exact opposite. Absolutely. Yep. Why why is that? Where does that come from? Yeah. I mean, sex is power in, in a, a large sense. And so when men have the, or when an individual has the autonomy to decide for themselves, I'm going to go after something that brings me joy and is pleasurable. And I like have a good time that gives them a, a sense of autonomy and a sense of individuality. And that's something that boys and men are just given throughout their whole life. And so the more that society can regulate a woman's body and her sexual behavior, the more in control they are of us. And so I think that that has a lot to do with why boys are promoted to be their sexual selves and girls are really shamed for being the sexual beings that they are just as much as men are. I see that or at least I've heard that there are people having less and less children mm-hmm. or less and less people are having children now. Do you think that's part of the problem? Part of what problem? The part part of the problem of um, women not having the desire to have sex and also mm-hmm. women being shamed for wanting sex. Um, I think it's really more of a reflection of the, like the growing realities of society. You know, like when I was a kid, most of my mom's friends stayed at home. So it, you, you could really survive as a family and do well on a one income household. And that's just not the case nowadays. And so women are delaying, you know, having children because they're working and they're working to pay off student loans and they're working to survive. And so a lot of couples end up postponing having children or reducing the amount of children because they just can't afford to have more than one kid or they can't afford or they don't have the family support. I mean, it's it's multifactorial, but I don't think it's a reflection of women being interested in sex less. I think it's really more of a reflection of the the realities of the society that we're in right now. Okay. I want to get more into relationships, but before okay. we pivot from where we are, how can people get their partners to want to have more sex? Hmm. I think that the question that we need to be asking is why are we having sex? Instead of how can I get you to be like, how can I entice you to be, you know, like more interested? Like, why do you want to be having sex? And when I ask clients that, it's really interesting some of the answers that come up and that allows me to unpack and, and really take you know, a a figure or take a, um, oh, an expedition in terms of where, where I need to take them. Um, but for the most part, there's a sense of obligation that, well, I need to be having sex. And so kind of like, well, I need to be working out. So like, how can you motivate me to like go work out? And I think that when we approach sex that way, we're missing like the whole point of it. So it's, I would encourage to, to think about it differently. Like, why am I having sex? And then what kind of sex is worth having? I think those are the two really important questions that should people should be asking themselves. 
Yes, definitely. I feel like another thing that could probably come from that, that would be the person, the partner who wants the sex, but isn't getting it might take it internally. And that's something about them Mm -hmm. um, versus the person who just doesn't have the desire. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, does that, um, when it comes to relationships, is that something that you see a lot that people struggle with? Yeah, I think what I see it's typically is one partner has a higher sexual desire than the other. And there's usually a disconnect on why that the higher desire partner doesn't get like, why don't you just want to have sex more? And it's, it's really, I don't think that when we boil it down, like when I talk to the lower desire partner, it's not that they want less sex. They just want less sex of the sex that they're having. So if they could have better sex, if they, and that better doesn't necessarily mean like with somebody that's more attractive or like just, you know, hanging from the chandeliers, like anything crazy, but it's warranted to have that discussion of what does better sex mean for you and what could motivate you or what could help pull off those breaks that are telling you, no, not tonight. Nope. I don't want to do it. No, I'm not interested. And I, I see that what a lot of people are trying to do, especially the higher desire partner is they're trying to push the gas pedal of their partner and they mm-hmm. forget that the brakes are pretty far, they're, they're down pretty good. And so mm-hmm. you can throw a bunch of gas and rev those engines, but if your brake is on, you're not going anywhere. And so you have to figure out what is pushing those brakes for the lower desire partner in order for them to start being open to being willing to have more sex. When you work with people, how do you start that? I mean, what's the first step that they can take? Yeah. I, so one of the things that I do is, is if it's in a couple session or if it's in an individual session, you know, it'll differ a little bit, but, you know, recognizing that what's work, what's currently functioning is not working because there's dissatisfaction. And so asking, you know, the, either the current person or the couple, you know, what would be ideal for both of you. And a lot of couples don't even have that conversation. They both just have this like silent expectation of, oh, he probably wants sex every day, or she probably only wants sex like once a month. And then we like tell ourselves these stories and create these narratives about our partners that really aren't probably true. And it could be alleviated that conflict or that tension or the the building resentment could really be alleviated had we just had that basic conversation of, how often, and I call it sex expectations, like what are your sex expectations? How often are you desiring to have sex or to be intimate? Why do you want to have sex with me? Like, what is it just to have an orgasm? Like, okay, so if that's the case, can I just give you a hand job? Can we do oral sex? Can, or are, is it because you need to feel connected to me? Well, are there other ways that we can feel connected? And a lot of times what I see is usually the lower desire partner needs to feel connected emotionally before they can give themselves physically. And the higher desire partner feels more connected when they are physically, and then they're able to give themselves emotionally. So it becomes this like game where we're chasing things that we can't give each other. And so that's something that we explore during sessions is, okay, how can we get our needs met? Not necessarily just by the other person, but also like for, from ourselves. That's so good. And it's like, first off, just communicating what are the needs and then, okay, how can we get them met? Yeah. Yeah. Simple. (laughs) Right. It's just that that communication block. I feel like a lot of, 
a lot of couples are maybe not getting, but I did hear a quote that kind of illustrates what you just said. And you can tell me if this is true or not. Okay. Men need to have sex to feel loved and women need to feel loved to have sex. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate for the most part. I mean, you know, it's nuanced, but yes, what in my experience is, you know, women need that emotional component in order to feel safe enough to open up. Is this an an innate thing where like women are just wired that way? I don't know because again, if if women and if boys and girls were raised the same and given those same messages about sexuality and about being sexually active, I'm curious to see if women would also feel connected by having sex and they'd feel loved by having sex versus needing to feel loved in order to have sex. Why do so many relationships struggle and ultimately fail? Hmm. <laughs> What is the purpose of life? No, um, <laughs> that's a great question. Gosh, I think that honestly, relationships fail because of unrealistic and unexpressed expectations. So that we, I I am expecting, I am entering into this relationship and I'm expecting X, Y, Z, Z, all, you know, these 45 different things from you. And realistically, you could probably provide maybe half of them. But modern day relationships, there is such an emphasis on our monogamous partner to provide all of our needs and meet everything. And when they don't, then we get frustrated and resentful and we pull back. And then we stop meeting the needs of our partner because we shut down communication and we start to withhold things that they they need and they desire. And then that just chasm, you know, starts to build between the two individuals and then over time, it just becomes really too too big to bridge. And that ultimately can lead to the demise of, of a relationship. I've heard before, too, that it's better not to have expectations. So do you think it's better to just go into a relationship without those or to go into a relationship and voice those? I think it depends on the purpose of the relationship. Uh, So for, you know, romantic relationships, again, we have this belief, a lot of people, and this is, you know, what we're taught is that you, you need to find your soulmate and your twin flame or your whatever, and they're going to meet all of your needs and they're, you're going to be attracted to them all of the time and be in love with them all of the time. And as soon as you're not, then they're really not the one for you. And then you need to go, you like this, the cycle continues. And so I think that, um, and what I'm seeing too, with, um, just a big shift away from traditional, you know, gender roles and traditional relationship styles is the ability to create more conscious and intentional relationships. So I'm seeing a lot more open relationships. I'm seeing um, some sexless, you know, marriages, more like partnerships in a way where people are recognizing, you know, like the traditional marry for love, modern day monogamous relationship is really not working it's very problematic for a lot of people and so what they're doing is they are saying this is what i'm needing from this relationship and so these are my expectations therefore i will approach it and and in hopes of having those needs met so i don't think that expectations are bad but i do think it requires a level of self-awareness and that's where it becomes a problem is that people don't know what they want And they think that being in a relationship will 
oh, I'll know what I want when I see it. And I don't think it works that way. I think you really need to know yourself and know what you're wanting at that stage of your life. And then giving yourself permission to say, I'm wanting somebody that meets me where I'm at, or I, I just want a booty call, or I just want uh, to like raise children with somebody. Like there's no right or wrong way to approach a relationship, but being honest with yourself and what you want is, is absolutely that first step. You mentioned multiple partners. Can we yes. go into polygamy? Uh, polygamy or polyamory? Uh, oh, polyamory. Okay, can we, sure. Can we go into polyamory? <laughs> we can go into either. Yes, we can. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, both. Yeah. Um, well, what is polygamy? So polygamy is multiple spouses. So okay. It's typically, it's typically like what you see on like the TLC sisters, wife, sister wives, where it's like one guy with like three or four wives. That's polygamy means many, many marriages. Um, and then polyamory just means many loves. Right. Right. Okay. So I see polyamory becoming more and more popular. I don't know if popular is the right term, but I'm just seeing it more. And I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. is there just more of like a magnifying glass on it now, or more people are talking about it or sharing about it, or is it actually becoming like this new thing that people are experimenting with? I, I think it's, Yes, all of the above. (laughs) If that was a multiple choice question, I would say yes, all of the above. I think one, like the presence of social media that people are able to take magnifying glasses and look at different relationship styles that we can't run away from. People are fascinated by different sexual lifestyles and different relationship arrangements. And so that kind of automatically gives it some titillation and some excitement. So, yep, it's going to get more tread. I think especially people in like the millennials and the Gen X and Gen Zers are seeing that traditional monogamy, like the divorce rate, infidelity rates, overall dissatisfaction of, okay, you were married. My parents were married for 50 years and they freaking hated each other. Like that's not a success. Is that really a successful life, a successful relationship? And so I think that- Yeah. Yeah. Is that love? And I think people are starting to like, I want to redefine what life I want to create for myself and what love looks like for me and what a conscious community looks like. And so I think that a lot of people are interested in polyamory or um, non-monogamy. So non-monogamy is really an umbrella term and under non-monogamy is different spokes and polyamory is one of them. Swinging is one of them. Um, just like having an open relationship is one of them. So it kind of just, but most people, when they hear polyamory, they think all non-monogamy is, is polyamory, but polyamory is a form of non-monogamy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've seen different relationships evolve into polyamory, out of Mm -hmm. polyamory, what is your opinion on them? Have you worked with people that are and that are not and want to be? Is it successful? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, yes, I've worked with people. Personally, I am, I'm polyamorous. Um, so it's something that I'm a big, I, I wouldn't say I'm a big advocate for. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm an advocate for it personally and also professionally less so because I know that that can feel overwhelming to some people and I'm not out there saying, sign up to be polyamorous. Like this is the greatest lifestyle. But I definitely think that it is a valid relationship style for certain people and it works phenomenally 
for certain people. And that requires a lot of work, a lot of communication. Um, it is, it, it can be a lot of work. I don't know how to describe it. Um, so yes, I definitely see it being very uh, non-conformative, non-traditional, but also really valid. <clears throat> so when you ask if it's successful, would you... I would ask the the person asking that, like, would you, how would you define monogamy as being successful? Because we look at our divorce rates and we look at our infidelity rates and like, like one in one, in two marriages end in divorce, like yeah. over half of them, there's some type of infidelity. <clears throat> second, yes. second marriages, the divorce rates even higher. It's like 60 to 70%. Like, so would you define monogamy as successful? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think you if you're basing it on stats or like long-term partnership, it, it wouldn't be successful. But if you're looking at it as a relationship style that makes to the person, the people in it, better individuals, that they are doing it because they are there and present in that relationship because by choice and not obligation, they are there to be better versions of themselves. I think those are ways you can gauge success. Obviously that's, you know, incredibly subjective, but yeah. I love that answer. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's your advice for those who want to communicate their desires to their partner, but they don't know how, or they're scared? Yeah, that is a totally valid concern. And I think that what a lot of people forget is like, when they're giving advice on this is they're like, well, just tell them just like throw it out. But we have this sense of safety inside of us. And it's a real like internal alarm when that sense of safety gets threatened. And so if I know that me telling my partner that I want to open the relationship or I want to like start using toys or like I want to have sex more often, if that could possibly threaten the relationship and the stability of it, then everything inside of me is saying, don't do it, don't do it, shut it down, shut it down. Mm. And so if that is the case, I think it's so important that you start by acknowledging that. And it's like, I'm not, it's not that I'm a chicken and I don't know how to communicate. It's that I'm scared of losing something that's really important to me and giving yourself that grace and tuning into that fear of saying, okay, whew, this is a normal response to fear the loss of this relationship. Now I need to decide what is more important to me, losing myself in this relationship or possibly losing the relationship. And there's no right answer to that. Only you get to decide. But if you're in a place where you're like, you know what? Like I'm brave enough. To, I am, I really, and that's what happened in my marriage is that I was like, I can't like continue to be my non-monogamous self in here. Like I, I have to share with him my, like what my feelings and my desires are because if not, I felt like I would be betraying myself. And so I was willing to lose my marriage because I knew that I had to be authentic to who I was. It was super freaking scary. Like it wasn't like, you know, some overnight decision, but it, I knew that I would regret living my life, living a lie than being who I was truly meant to be. And so I think when we are brave enough to say, okay, how can I communicate? I like to buffer. And this is what I did in my own marriage. I would be like, you know, I was listening to a podcast on, non-monogamy and this is what they were talking about 
And so instead of saying, this is what I want, what do you think? And that can be a little bit threatening using that buffer of, oh, did you hear about um, Jan and Mike? Like they went to a swingers club the other weekend. Like, what do you think about that? Or, oh, like, um, you know, Mike and Jay, like they have, you know, like these weekends that they go away together and that's really helped their sex life where they feel more connected to each other. Or I was reading an article on spicing things up or whatever, whatever desire that you have. Can I send it to you? I would really like to, to talk, like hear what your thoughts are about it. And I find that that approach is so much less threatening than, okay, here, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, tell yeah. me your thoughts. <laughs> yes. That feels much safer. That's yeah. great advice. If you want to go that route. And also this conversation, we're just like shattering my own beliefs left <laughs> and right, because I'm so interested that you were the one that wanted to go to your marriage and say, Hey, I want to open it up to possibly having multiple partners. Mm -hmm. And normally I don't know. I don't, can't just be me. I feel like it's the masses that believe that it's usually the man mm -hmm. that wants to open up the relationship. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's totally a typical stereotype of that because like, why would I, a woman want to have more than one sexual part? Why would I want to have, obviously he's, I'm not putting out enough. So he's the one who would want to open the marriage. And I think that just, again, goes to like, women aren't seen as sexual beings. We're not seen as someone who crave and desire more sex than maybe their male partner does. Or, and, and we like, I think to focus on the sex part, people can open their marriage because they want more romance or they want a travel buddy, or they want to go do like different random things. It, yes. Are you in non-monogamy? Is sex usually a component? Absolutely. But I think it's, it's funny how we make these assumptions about people in these lifestyles or in these relationship styles when it is so diverse and, and so contrary to what we probably think it is. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that most people in a relationship, they open up the non-monogamy door after they've already tried to have their needs met and that hasn't worked? Or is non-monogamy one of their needs? That's a great question. I think it can be both. I think that it depends a lot on like how you were raised. And like, I got married at 22 and I had only ever been with my husband. I grew up very religiously. And so the idea of anything besides heterosexual not or heterosexual monogamy was not an option. Um, mm. That was, this is, this is the life you will live and you will have children and you will, per, you know, be a godly wife and do all of these things. And um, so I think that had I been who I am now, 20 years ago, it, it could be, that would have been something that I would have said, this is a need of mine, but I didn't know that that was a need until, you know, you're into the marriage for 18 years. So, um, so for some people, I I've known couples where they both come into the relationship and they both say non-monogamy is a need of mine. That's just how I'm wired, or this is the relationship style I choose. And that's, we work or it's not going to work. I've worked with couples or had friends who, you know, they were together for 10, 20 years and then decided to open the marriage or, you know, date as a couple or, or whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's so diverse. It, it, it really is. Going back to your point about it being scary because we have mm -hmm. this innate response where, um, 
we just feel fear and it kind of stops us from voicing our wants and because we don't want to lose our partner our our relationship I feel like that's so so uh deep and deeply ingrained in us that it's like it's our security so ultimately we need to feel that security to survive so it's like back to like survival instincts yeah I'm going to pivot a little bit. There's, there's something that you talked to, you talk about virginity a little bit, at least that I've seen. And, Mm -hmm. um, I love the way you articulate this. So I'm going to ask you the question, which is what's wrong with the question. When did you lose your virginity? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so the, the concept of virginity is such an antiquated concept of really, again, to regulate a woman's sexual behavior. And this was, again, a way of defining or um, verifying that a woman had not been uh, soiled or sullied or whatever the words that people would use before she was handed off into a marital whatever. And so when we use that word virginity, we really are evoking that history of how women's sexual behavior was regulated. And so one, it's so freaking subjective. Like, are we talking like first penetrative? Like, so then like lesbians can't really like have their virginity taken if they've only had sex with other women because there's no penis entering the vagina. Like Mm. I just, it's just problematic because it really perpetuates that idea that a woman's body, her hymen, her, you know, that invisible border that that is only really claimed when that first sexual experience happens and then suddenly she's no longer a virgin and she is this sexual being and I just find it so problematic (laughs) right right I completely agree I have a question okay I'm gonna go back to relationships real quick because I wanted to ask you at what point if any can a relationship no longer be revived Ooh, when a person no longer cares. So when I would work with couples, I would say, I can absolutely work with hate. You guys hate each other. Awesome. That means, that means I've got something to work with. Mm -hmm. You know, people think that the opposite of love is hate, but really what I see it is it's indifference. And so when we get to the point where we're like, I don't really care if nothing to fight for, there's no, there, there's no motivation there's no drive there's no connection there and it doesn't have to be like an ill will it doesn't have to be like wow care what lado blah 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 it's much more like I'm just kind of done trying like I'm just tired and I don't want to make the effort anymore and I see that so much with women in their 40s like holy cow who have been married for 10 to 15 ish years and they are just at the point where they are done they are so indifferent and I, it's really a tough thing to work with. Mm. Yeah. I, so when you work with people and one person is at that point and one person isn't, is there anything that can be done there? Or it's basically if one person's there, it's, it's pretty much over. I think it goes back to what kind of relationship do you want to have? Because it, based on, I only have one partner who's wanting romance and sex and like a traditional, like, let's say marriage. And then I have one partner who's like, 
peace out. I'm done. Like I'm not interested. Then the next phase is how can we salvage what we still have? Like maybe you guys are great business partners. Maybe you're great co-parents. Would you consider staying in a marriage or staying in a relationship or living together, separate rooms? Like how can we, and this is usually when a family's involved. So usually when kids are involved is when I try to figure out a, a way, because usually parents are couples who have kids and are, and their parents, they usually are like, I want it. I'm really only here because I'm for the kids. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be your 1990s divorce where it's, you know, nasty and dad moves out. And then, you know, the kids have to go somewhere every other weekend and, and whatnot. You can create a family system and structure works for you. That's again, that's another reason why I'm a big fan of non-traditional relationships is because, you know, you can create and cultivate and design something that because you have one partner, that's like, I don't want to, I'm not attracted to you anymore. I don't want to have sex with you anymore, but man, I really enjoy raising our kids together. And I really enjoy vacationing with you and being friends with you. And so if that other partner who wants a sexual relationship can be okay with that, we can create a family system that still works and we can figure out a way to have everybody's needs met, but it's going to take some open-mindedness. And because a lot of times people are like, it's monogamy, sex once a week, this is the way it's going to work or it's nothing else. And I think that that, the way that the nuclear family currently is, it's not sustainable to have that all or nothing mentality. Okay. I'm wondering what has to happen to get to that point. And I'll explain what's going on in my mind. I see couples who do get to that point and they, you know, have that separation that's totally, you know, it's not like a heated thing. It's very amicable. And then you have the people who are happily together for decades and just as in love after 30, 40 years as they were in the beginning. And to me, from what I can observe, I feel like we all become different people through our life. Like we have to shed old identities and we step into new ones. And it's a difference of someone falling in love with you again, with this new version of you. Mm -hmm. And then the other people that look at you and they're like, you're not the same person you were when I married you. Yeah. And is that something like, is that accurate? Do you see that? Absolutely. I think that we forget that when we get married, that this person has the right to change and to evolve. And I hope that I can help facilitate that change for the better for that person that I'm signing up for in this relationship. Because a lot of times we see, and I see this a lot within monogamous relationships, is this sense of ownership of you're committing to me, now you belong to me, and you do anything to threaten that belonging, you're in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is more of a reflection of how marriage has been historically of where, you know, like your women are property and children are property. And that's just that mentality versus I want to be in this relationship, whether that's five years or 55 years, And I want to help make you a better person. And if the day comes where I don't do that, I want you to go and find somebody else that does. And I think that so many people are not secure enough in themselves to give their partner permission to do that or to give themselves permission to do that. 
Okay. So you think the difference, it comes down to someone being secure in who they are and someone not. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do yeah, with security and this idea of uh, like this scarcity mentality. Like I have to control you. I, mm -hmm. I don't want you to leave me. And so if you change, there's a, a likelihood that you'll leave me. And that prevents growth and that prevents change and the opportunity to, to like really up level your relationship and it keeps you small. And I just, I, I, I would never want that for my husband where I, and I've, we've had these conversations over the years. If you don't feel like I'm making you a better person, then I'm not, I'm doing something wrong in this relationship. And if I'm not able to meet your needs, then we need to have a talk about what that looks like and, and how we can do that. And if not, but we fear, we, we see the divorce or the end of a relationship as a failure. And I mm. think we have to change that, that outlook on that. Just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it failed. It may have just come to the end of it and gotten everything you possibly could have out of it. That's beautiful. That's not a failure. Mm, I see. Okay. So you're in a relationship, your partner changes you'll become scared because you don't recognize a lot of things about your partner now. And maybe this new version, maybe this person doesn't love you like the last yeah. one. Yeah. And, but then you also on the other side have divorce and that looks like failure. So you're between two different fears. Yeah. You're afraid to put yourself out there and with this new person, that's you're still your partner, but you don't recognize them as much. And then also you don't want to be a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, you can see it as being overwhelming both ways. And you can also see it as being an opportunity for growth both ways. I think there are, there are so many things that you can learn in both scenarios. Um, but yes, if you look at it that way of I I'm screwed either way, then yeah, you will be screwed either way. Right, right. But that's when the communication comes in and the voicing your needs and- Absolutely. Yeah. And acknowledging like, I, you're changing. I notice that you're changing. And I notice that that makes me feel scared because I'm afraid that if you change, you're not gonna want this version of me anymore. Mm. And, and to own that and to have like, let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I'm scared too. I'm scared of the, the partner, you know, this being the partner who's changing. I'm scared that I may not feel the same way about you that I once did now that I have changed. I, I worked with a couple once who um, they were both very overweight and the woman, the wife lost, I don't know, like 150 pounds. And they came to me because she was a different, I mean, physically she was a different person, but emotionally she was a completely different person. And they just couldn't figure out what, what, what do you do with that? Yeah. And the, the issue for her was that I, I begged him to come on this journey with me and he didn't want to. And mm -hmm. so there was a sense of grief for her because she could see herself losing that love and losing that connection to the man that she said, I want to do my life with you. But who she was when she signed up for that was, it was not the same woman that came into my office. Mm. And I think that that's something that people like we, we have the right to change our minds and we have the right to grow. And so we want to pick partners that want to support that and choose that over the status quo and over 
but we're going to stay married, right? Mm -hmm. I think this opens up an, another layer as well, because it's like, it sounds like she chose herself. She did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we have to either choose ourselves or just basically not choose our, like if we don't choose ourselves and we're choosing our partner or we're choosing the relationship, then you're going to, there's going to be resentment there somewhere. Absolutely. And for so many, especially women that I work with, they never choose themselves. And so they are wondering why they're so unhappy when they're 45 because they've been choosing everybody else and putting everybody else before them. And yet they are burned out, depressed on multiple medications. They're not sleeping. They're exhausted. And they, they wonder why, because you never chose you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so important to put yourself first. Also going back to, I know that you, you work with couples and you work mm -hmm. with relationships as far as like romantic relationships, mm -hmm. but I just want to shed light on the fact that as far as evolving into different versions of yourself, um, as I'm going through life, obviously everyone experiences this, mm -hmm. my close friend also. So mm -hmm. it's like we, and we recognize that we can have these conversations and we just had one a couple of months ago and I hadn't seen her in probably six or eight months. And I'm like, I know you've, you know, you're basically a new version of yourself and I can't mm. wait to get to know you again. You know, it's, it's like, beautiful. this happens, this happens yeah. in every relationship in your life. And even with family too, you know? Yeah, that is, that's so true. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's, it can be beautiful if you're, yeah. if you're willing to, you know, grow together and not yeah. get stuck in your fear yes um there's another thing that you talk about that I would love to touch on which <laughs> <Okay>. is <laughs> BDSM okay it's gotten a lot of attention since 50 shades of gray yes. and so let's talk about the misconception that it has to do with pain and violence yes yeah so I think a lot of people assume that BDSM is like dungeons and whips and flogs and like spikes and I and to be fair yes that is a part of that but it is such a broad umbrella like we talked about with non-monogamy it is such a broad umbrella that so many different practices including something as common as spanking falls under BDSM and one of the things that I think is so important is that people realize that different kinks so different things that that are considered uncommon mm -hmm. that are sexually arousing for people that just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad and to really understand like I think that it's when we don't understand something we fear it and mm -hmm. so when we fear it we want to create distance and the easiest way to create distance is to make it kind of like weird and wrong and scary and so when we associate these like media images, you know, or like things that we saw in 50 shades or whatever. It's like, oh, that must encompass the entire community and entire practices. And I think that's really unfair. And it, I, I'm personally not a part of the BDSM community. I don't, um, it, it's not one of my kinks, but I have lots of friends who are, and people I've encountered who are so immersed in that and identify with that community. And I, the stories and experiences that they have there are, I just, I love hearing about them because the emphasis on consent and the emphasis on communication is nothing I have seen in any other 
sexual practice. Like it is so important to communicate, to set boundaries, to talk about consent. I mean, it is really, really well done when done right. Like obviously it can go wrong when people aren't, you know, practicing ethically and, and engaging in sexual behaviors ethically. But um, for the most part, I really um, admire how those things are presented in that community. Yeah. It's really refreshing to hear you talk about that because I don't really hear a lot of people talking about BDSM in that way. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Like you see a lot of like the dominatrixes and the mistresses mm-hmm. and like they've got their paddle and they're ready to like, and again, that's, that is fun for some people. And I am not knocking it and, and not discounting that part of it, but that can also be really overwhelming and triggering for some people who are like, whoa, that is like way crazy out there. Like all they want to do is like hurt each other. And, mm-hmm. and it's really, it's so much more than that. And so I would encourage, you know, if you're looking for ways to spice your sex life up or really even curious about it for yourself, because you don't have to be in a relationship to be, to explore BDSM, um, to really see if there's a kink community near you that, that that's a part of and go see what it's about. Yeah. I think BDSM and polyamory could probably be put in the same category as far as needing to be kind of redefined. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much fear around anything that's non-traditional vanilla, non-traditional monogamy. And I get it. It's, it's upsetting. You're like, why in the world? I, I just makes me sad and really, you know, sometimes angry when people like demonize people who are different or they just completely dismiss and they're like, Nope, that's wrong. Don't want to have a conversation with you. And when we do that, like we miss out on such rich conversations and connections, even if you don't sign up for it, right. Even if you don't pursue, subscribe to that lifestyle, you can still like learn and and really think about like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder how I bring in like what you talked about before, like those assumptions, like, gosh, I wonder how I bring in this assumption in my relationship or, or this Mm -hmm. expectation in my relationship. Cause I don't Mm -hmm. see that in, in polyamory. I don't see that, you know, situation in BDSM scenes or whatever. Right. It's like when you see something a certain way, you need to kind of look inward because it's just a mirror reflecting something that you need to look at in your own life. Yes. Our triggers are our teachers. Absolutely. Yes. yes. And also when you put someone in a box, like, oh, they're polyamorous. Like, I don't want to engage with them. (laughs) Like you're actually putting yourself in a box and you're not getting to experience or even understand or entertain any sort of idea outside of your own like limiting beliefs. Yep. 100%. I love this conversation. Um, <laughs> I, have one, I have one more question for you before I ask it. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, no, I don't think so. This has been wonderful. I'm just excited to discuss all things sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So what is your number one health tip? So whether it's mindset, diet and nutrition, physical, emotional, just the one piece of advice you would like everyone to know. Obviously, I can throw sexuality in there for you because it's a different <laughs> topic. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is to prioritize pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to mean sexual pleasure, but like that is something that I see raises everything. So when you prioritize pleasure, you are choosing yourself you are saying yes to yourself and you are engaging in activities 
usually that are nourishing to them to all elements of you. So that would be my my health tip. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Where can people find you, Courtney? Yes. So I'm on most social media stuff at Courtney Boyer Coaching. And um, you can find me at CourtneyBoyerCoaching.com. And also my book, Not Tonight, Honey, is on Amazon and a lot of other online book retailers as well. Wonderful. All of that will be in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Everyone for listening. That concludes this episode. If this resonated with you, please give it a rating and review. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Links are in the show notes. I sincerely thank you for your time and your presence.